Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 155, Artemis Moon Tools. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We are returning human presence to the moon, this time in a sustainable way through the Artemis program. Humans will soon be exploring the surface of the moon, but this time in different and interesting locations near the lunar poles, and for longer periods of time, all with the goal in mind of learning more about the moon and how to live and work on Mars. And while we're improving the techniques of living and working on the moon, we have a lot of exploring to do. These interesting locations on the moon can help us understand more about our planet and its history, and a better understanding of what makes up the moon's surface could improve how we live off of its resources. Now with new places to explore come new tools we need to develop in order to explore them and new challenges that we need to overcome. So to describe these new tools that will be used for Artemis are Trevor Graff and Adam Nades. Trevor is the Jacobs Chief Scientist and Project Manager for Exploration Science within the Astro Materials Research and Exploration Science Division, or ARES, here at the Johnson Space Center. He describes the interesting geology of these locations on the moon and the challenges of collecting samples. Adam is the Deputy Project Manager for Artemis Geology Tools. He's the one designing the tools to overcome these challenges and be user-friendly to future moonwalkers. So, here we go. The next generation of tools for the next generation of moonwalkers with Trevor Graff and Adam Nades. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit for the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Trevor and Adam, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. This is uh, this is quite a topic here, uh, Artemis Moon Tools. Now, honestly, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be completely honest. I really don't know too much about the history of tools, so I kind of want to start with that. But before we even get to that, I want to know just who we're talking to because we are doing a little bit of the tool side and a little bit of the science side. Adam, we'll start with you. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, hey, Gary. So uh, I'm the deputy project manager for the Artemis Geology Tools, and so I help to lead a team of people who are designing and building and testing the next generation uh, tools that we're going to send to the moon to bring back samples. Um, I, uh, I, my degree was in engineering physics uh, from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and uh, I'm fortunate to be in the position I'm in and uh, excited to be working on such an awesome project. Yeah, what a title, man. <laughs> working on Future Tools, Deputy Manager. Very, very cool. And you started as a co-op like me, and uh, if I remember correctly, we created a little video called NASA Johnson Style. I think it's, uh, I think it's got a couple hits on YouTube. Yeah, just a couple of hits, Gary. That was a, an amazing time, and uh, it was really cool to share what we're doing with the public. And so uh, I'm excited to do that again uh, for a different topic. Very cool. All right. Well, it's it's, it's good to uh, at least hear your voice again during this uh, pandemic, but uh, I'm glad to have you on. Now, Trevor, how about you? Uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, 
Thanks, Gary. Um, the Jacobs chief scientist and uh, the project manager for like exploration science-related things within the Astro Materials Research and Exploration Division, or ARIES, um, here at JSC. And so, I, I, I'm for the tools projects. I'm kind of the science liaison to Adam's team to help infuse the science into the types of tools that uh, Adam and his team are building. Um, I started at JSC almost well over 20 years ago as an intern um, and then went off to get my graduate degree at Arizona State University where I worked on uh, Mars rovers for quite a bit after that. Um, so I did a lot with the Mars rovers and building instrumentation for the Mars rovers and commanding um, some instruments on the Mars rovers. And so um, found my way back to JSC uh, seven or eight years ago and have been working in Aries at JSC and just getting more and more involved in the human side and uh, the aspects of science that play into that. So uh, this tools project has been super exciting to get involved in thinking about, you know, the, the application of, of using the tools and doing science on the moon once again. I'm curious to hear more about that. You said um, more on the human side of science. So t talk about that relationship, the, the how geology meets the human side. Yeah, so, you know, I, I talked about the Mars rover, so a lot of what I've been doing is, you know, the robotic side of that, of, like, using the Mars rovers as robotic geology explorers on the surface of Mars. And so it's very interesting for me to, like, make this flip from, you know, the, the slow pace and the, the, the detailed science that the robotic instruments have been doing on the surface of Mars to thinking about how humans can use the tools and do the sample collection and how rapid that, that makes the process and how integrative that can be. And so that flip from the robotic world that it, where my head has been for a number of years with Mars is really fun to now think about the human aspect of, you know, humans being the explorers and, and doing that again on the lunar surface is, is really exciting here in the next few years. Now, Trevor, you got a little taste of this uh, on an undersea mission called NEMO. Can you describe a little bit what that is and what you did and how that kind of relates to what you're talking about? Sure. So NEMO is this project that occurs off the, uh, the coast of the Florida at a underwater habitat that sits down at 62 feet in the, in the sand off the coast, about five kilometers um, off of Key Largo. And so NEMO itself is NASA's extreme um, environment mission operations. It's an it's analog which sends scientists and engineers down to that habitat to live and work um, as they are, you know, analogous to space. So the habitat itself is kind of the size of like an ISS node. And then we go from the habitat out into the surrounding area or the reef and do science. And so we, 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 do that all analogous of the types of things that we would do on the lunar surface or on the Mars surface, and we talk to a, a backroom team and mission control, and so it's really a fantastic analog for the types of things that we do or are thinking about doing, you know, on other planetary surfaces. So I had the opportunity in 2017 to be part of one of those crews, one of the NEMO crews, so NEMO 22. Um, and uh, got an awesome opportunity to be part of that. And that's also, you know, through this process of NEMO is where kind of me and Adam started to meet and start talking about tools. So a lot of these tool things that we'll talk about today 
um, initiated because of analog missions like NEMO or Desert Rats and things like that in the past. So it's fun to see how this has grown over the years. That is incredible. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it's like to live underwater. How would you describe it to someone uh, who has no idea what it's like to live in a confined space? And you can even call it an extreme environment for, for its own reasons because it is, it's not just, oh, you know, I'm tired of being here. I'm going to walk out the door. It, it's, it's for a reason that you're underwater. Yeah, it's exactly that, Gary. Is It's very, very analogous to space, just because you need the life support system to be even able to survive, right? So in the habitat or when you go out in the water column and go out on these simulated EVAs, you need that life support system, and it makes it extreme, right? There's all the things that you need to think about to stay safe, and there's all the things that you need to think about to be able to communicate well as a team, as a crew, all the way back to mission control. And so you know, it was a fantastic opportunity to live and work down there. I, I, I'm passionate about diving and things like that, so it, it really scratched the itch for, for me for numerous um, reasons, being, you know, a space nerd, but then also um, love uh, and passionate about diving. And so it's just fantastic. To, and it, it, the, the biggest takeaway I had just looking out the window of the habitat, you know, each day is how unique our Earth is, our environment is, and how unique all the creatures are, you know, looking out the window at, at the fish life and how it changes throughout the day and things like that were just fantastic, and so it was an awesome opportunity. What a great experience. Unbelievable. And, and Adam, you, you said you, um, or Trevor mentioned that he kind of met you in the Nemo world. Tell me about your experience. Yeah, so uh, the last, I mean, decade or more, we've been thinking about going back to the moon and going to Mars and uh, and how we would do that. And so NEMO is, has been a place where we've been able to think about those things, build prototypes, and put them into action and learn. Um, and so uh, I've been a part of six NEMO missions now, and um, it's just been an awesome opportunity, as Trevor said, to think about these things to cross-train in other disciplines, um, like for me, cross-training in scientists and understanding what they care about, uh, and cross-training in operations and what, what it means to operate the tools. And so um, it's just been a really amazing uh, experience there to just to be ready for a moment like this, where now we've been charged with going back to the moon for Artemis um, and then on to Mars, and we just now we're just taking what we've learned taking those relationships that we've built and putting it into action um, to, to do it for real. You, you, you talked about we're thinking about the moon and, and it's happening right now. And here's the thing. We've been to the moon before, right? So this is we're talking about the Apollo era. We're talking about the 70s. Uh, let's take a journey through history. Adam, take us through some of the early Apollo era uh, collection tools, their purpose, and a little bit about what we have already done in the past. Yeah, happy to do that. Uh, you know, we've been to the moon six times, and we've, we've learned a lot each one of those missions. Um, early on, you know, science wasn't necessarily embedded in the Apollo program, and it took some, some fighting uh, to, to make that happen, um, or I should say lobbying. And, uh, and it, 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 it became a, a kind of cornerstone of the program uh, throughout. Um, and so bringing back samples is, is huge, a uh, huge part of those science objectives. They also... Uh, 
brought instruments and other uh, and did some other studies while they were on the moon, but they brought back samples, and so they developed a suite of tools to do that. Uh, early on, um, there was just a couple of tools, but that uh, that repertoire uh, increased throughout the missions. Um, some of the tools that we brought uh, were things like a shovel um, or a scoop. Uh, these things called tongs, which are just grabbers that you can use to pick up rocks off of the ground. We brought things like core tubes uh, to, to get cylindrical samples uh, of the soil, of the lunar uh, regolith, I should say, um, to bring back to study uh, the layers of the moon. Um, and so uh, those are just a couple of the, of the early uh, tools that were used um, and uh, they were able to, to bring back some great samples that are still being studied today. Now, they sound, they sound kind of simple, right, when you say it. You, you're, you're talking scoops and shovels. I have those in my garage right now. But uh, what is the key element when you're designing a tool that makes it something that is usable on a different planetary or moon lunar surface? Yeah, that's a great question, Gary. I get that a lot. Hey, you're just making a hammer. Like, what's so hard about making a space <laughs> hammer? Why, why don't you just go to your local hardware store and fly that? Um, uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is the environmental conditions, so temperature being a major one. Uh, we have some temperature extremes that we have to account for. Um, the other thing is designing for an astronaut in a spacesuit. And the spacesuit is essentially a balloon, and you have to squeeze against that balloon every time you grab something. And so we need to make uh, we need to think about human factors a lot, and ensuring that uh, these tools are easy to use and they can be used without causing the astronaut a lot of pain or um, exertion. Mm. And that way, they can they can do more. Uh, the last part of this has to do with contamination. Uh, so what we want to do for the scientists across the world is bring back samples that are pristine, that aren't contaminated with things that aren't from the moon. And so uh, that is a major driver for everything that we do on the ground um, in terms of processing the tools, um, selecting materials for the tools. We can only use certain materials. Uh, we have to make sure that our material finishes are uh, approved by the science community. We have to go through a cleaning process to make sure that we remove any contaminants from the tools, and then we have to maintain that cleanliness along the way. Um, and so that's something we don't have a lot of experience with in our recent history, so we're, uh, we're spending a lot of time getting smart on that right now. Hmm. Now, Trevor, I'm going to toss it over to you. We're talking about some these these tools that are designed for the moon. They sound relatively simple. Talk about the the geological perspective of this. Why you use these tools, perhaps in the field on Earth, and then why you want them for the moon. Yeah. Uh, well, Adam hit on you know a lot of things there. Of uh, those tools are kind of what I would use if I go out in the field today to you know collect rocks and samples to do terrestrial or earth-based you know study. And so, you know, my, I'm, a, I'm a geologist at heart, so I love my rock hammer and stuff, and so that's always in my backpack when I go out to do field work. Um, and so when we go to think about doing that type of stuff on another planetary body, like the moon and, or eventually onto Mars, those are the things, those, you know, those generally simple tools, if you will, are part of that, that kit 
that is really going to help us collect the samples, as Adam said, to get them back in a pristine state so that we can do the scientific research back here in the labs that we have both at JSC but also around the world um, to study the, these samples and learn the scientific knowledge that um, are our objectives of going back to the surface. And so, you know, of that, I think it was 382 kilograms or 840-some pounds of lunar rocks and, and soil and regolith that we brought back um, during the Apollo era, that has been a wealth, a treasure trove of scientific knowledge that people have been working on for decades and learning a lot about not only the moon, but the solar system and our Earth planetary system, our Earth-moon system. And so those samples become critical um, to get back in as pristine a state that we can. And one of the other things to, to mention on that, you know, Adam's tool or tool team is also building um, beyond just the, 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 the hammers and the rakes and the scoops and the tongs is the containers to package these things in. And that's not a easy task either, right? So there's the bags and then there's what they used to call during the Apollo days, a rock box, and then there's, you know, stowage bags and the, the containers to bring all this stuff back, not only when you're out on EVA and sampling, but you know, it's got to go into the HLS system or the human landing system and then back on Orion and back, you know, to Earth and ultimately get into Building 31 where our lunar sample collection is and, you know, and then gets distributed from there. So a lot to think about on the return aspects and the containers that the samples go in. For a, for a non-geologist like myself, you know, you're looking out on the moon and some of these pictures and it just looks like a field of gray. But I know that from your eye, from a geological perspective, there is there is important elements to all these different pieces. I know a story from uh, some of the early Apollo missions, I think it was Neil Armstrong, uh, filled up a container full of rocks and then found that there was empty space, so he started scooping some soil in there, some loose dirt, and that ended up being super valuable. So talk about the different things that we can find on the moon, even something, some lessons learned from Apollo about what things we find important, some of these core tubes, some rocks, some soil. What's what's cool about all these things? Yeah, I mean, the the moon looks gray at first blush and you know uh, but there is some really unique things you know like you said uh, you know back to Apollo mission again that they found that were very unique like the you know the orange soil for Apollo 17 or the you know you know a lot of impact debris and and things like that from different missions and so you know if you look up at the moon you see you know the light and dark areas um, and so the lighter surface areas are these lunar highlands and the darker places are the mare. And so these highlands are mostly what geologists call a orthocyte or a orthocytic in composition. And the mare, those those darker places when you look up the moon are basaltic. So but that's a very general, symptomatic way of looking at it. You know, once you get on the surface, you can find all kinds of, you know, geologic unique things to study that tell us, like I said, about our solar system as a whole. Um, uh, tell us about the Earth-Moon system and tell us about, you know, different scientific uh, applications for fundamental physics and things like that. So getting back to the surface in new, unique places and doing, you know, the field work that we're used to doing here on Earth, but applying that to the, the Moon and all those lessons learned from Apollo all apply um, in, in learning more about, you know, our solar system and beyond. Hmm. Now, Adam, um, some of these tools you, you, you mentioned early on uh, that uh, 
these tools were, you know, the science part came a little bit later in the Apollo mission. I think, you know, during the goal was really to get to the surface of the moon to get those boot prints. But uh, we, we must have learned a lot from designing the tools, what worked, what didn't work. So what, what are we taking from the Apollo missions and then applying to Artemis? Yeah, great question. Uh, so leading into this work, um, really for the last, you know, decade, we've been doing some research about Apollo. What did they do? What did they learn? Uh, just at a lower level. Uh, now that we're funded to start developing the tools for Artemis, we kicked that into overdrive. And so we worked with Trevor and um, his uh, organization who has a data center um, uh, with a lot of historic documents from Apollo, and we spent lots of time reading documents in there. We reached out to the JSC History Office to go and find whatever documents related to tools we possibly could, and just trying to get, gather as much, soak in as much knowledge as we could about what they, what they did and what worked well. Um, there was pretty good record keeping. They did debriefs uh, for each mission, and we, we can find quotes from the astronauts about what uh, issues that they had with tools and things that they liked and disliked. So we really soaked all of that in and um, kind of collected that information per tool and are and literally handing those documents to our designers now to implement some of those things. Um, and we get a question, uh, this question a lot where people say, well, why spend money designing new tools? Let's just fly the Apollo ones. Like we have the drawings, just build those and fly those. Uh, and then we also get the question that's like, well, let's make super fancy tools. It's the 21st century, you know, let's, let's make them way better than Apollo. And uh, to, in reality, we're doing a little bit of both. Um, for example, the, there's a tool called the drive tube, and uh, that you, that's, they hammer it into the ground to collect a core sample. That tool evolved um, multiple times throughout the six Apollo missions that landed on the moon, and we can see that. Uh, and then it remained steady the last couple of missions. So they, it, it appears that they got that design right, and it worked the way they wanted it to. So why should we change that? Um, and so that's kind of a starting point for us. Is let's 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 see if we can remake this design. Let's go test it in the new environment of the poles and see if that works. And then make any other adjustments based upon, you know, modern manufacturing practices or something like that. Uh, and then there's other things that just that that are simple but deserve another look. And you know, with everything that we know, you know, 60 years later. Um, we can implement that to make the tools lighter, um, more efficient, you know, easier to use. Uh, and so we're trying to, to kind of do a combination of that to make this toolkit um, uh, really useful uh, and easy for the astronauts. Wonderful. This is so exciting. Let's jump right to Artemis. Trevor, uh, when, we're, when we're doing an Artemis mission, uh, what is the lay of the land there? How does it compare to Apollo? What are the what are the interesting parts of these landing sites that you, as a geologist, want to explore? Yeah, so Artemis has us really excited to get to the surface uh, near the South Pole, like we've been directed to go. And so, you know, I talked a little bit about the light areas and the dark areas and those of the Moon, and those lighter areas being lunar highlands or this material called a orthosite. 
And so that's what we expect to find there. But like like we talked about, you know, there's always surprises that that can come along. And so we expect to find um, a lot like uh, Apollo 16 went to a Highlands area. It was the only Apollo mission that went to a region of Highland-like material. And so we expect that, but we're always ready for for exciting new finds and, and, and different discoveries. Um, at the South Pole, some of the challenges, though, are going to be some of these shadowed regions, and that's the really reason why we're going is for um, the volatiles um, there at the South Pole or the North Pole that, that are uh, um, present on the moon in the polar regions. And so we're really excited that Artemis is headed in that direction um, to, to go find these things as resources, right? So the, the idea here with Artemis is not only just to, to go you know, forward to the moon and return there, but also to think about how to do it in a sustained way. And so how do we use the resources that we find on the lunar surface, some of those resources being like the sun, the illumination, you know, for power, but also resources like what we hope to find in some of these shadowed regions for volatiles, um, some of that could be water that we possibly could use um, to be able to be uh, keep a sustained presence on the lunar surface, um, and then think about how that all applies to you know future um, human presence on like the surface of Mars, for example. Now, things like that, things like uh, like volatiles, um, when you, when you're looking at that, is maybe that's perhaps a little bit different from things uh, that we were collecting uh, or samples we were collecting during the Apollo era. So what uh, information are you providing to Adam that says, hey, when you get to this, when you get to this site, you're going to have to deal with these volatiles, these ices, and uh, that means you're going to need this kind of tool and it's going to need this kind of specifications. What information are you passing on to Adam? Yeah, great question, and that's that's that real curveball that we've kind of thrown the the tools team from the Apollo missions are these these permanently shadowed regions and trying to think about sampling those and how to get the samples you know collected in the correct way or you know the way that we think is correct and all the way back to the surface of Earth so that we can study them and learn more about them to go and then ultimately use them as a resource and so. There's been a number of missions um, at the lunar surface, um, orbital missions that have been characterizing those all the way back, you know, since the late 90s or, you know, with um, different orbiters that started to identify that, hey, look, there's something special at these polar regions. And that's what led to the, the launch of the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, or LRO, um, in, uh, it was... Uh, around 2009, I believe, at launch, and it's been there for almost a decade now. And that has a number of instruments on it that are collecting data from um, all over the moon, but specifically there is a number of instruments on that orbiter that are collecting data about the the volatiles and the, the uniqueness of the South Pole environment. So we're trying to, as scientific community, synthesize all those results to the things that Adam's team can use to actually then build the tools um, to to sample them correctly, or at least how we think we need to sample them to, to understand them better. And so that process is ongoing. Um, it's involving a lot of people at different centers, a lot of people across the scientific community, um, and it involves other people in ARIES, that organization that I come from, in the curation aspect. And so they're thinking about how, you know, how do you curate these things 
and understand them um, because ultimately we really need to understand them to be able to use them as a resource. And so we're doing our best as a scientific community to pull all that information together and get it to the tools folks, um, and, and it's been a great collaboration and uh, a way that we've been integrating very closely recently. Very cool. So, so Adam, what's one of the early things that you already know, one of the early challenges you, are, you know you're going to have to deal with for Artemis missions when designing these tools? Yeah, that's a great question. So the biggest uh, the biggest challenges we're seeing right now is operating in these PSRs, these permanently shattered regions, and getting the volatiles, as Trevor mentioned. Um, the types of compounds that are frozen into the regolith uh, you know, th there, there can be some uh, chemical interactions with our tools that we have to be careful of. And so we may have to coat our tools in, with special finishes to make sure that those chemical reactions don't happen. Uh, the other thing is that the, these compounds are frozen, right? And so as they heat up, they will turn to, uh, from a solid to a liquid and then to a liquid to a gas. Um, and they get to the gas phase pretty quickly. And so, um, you know, the scientists uh, ideally would be able to get these samples back uh, still frozen, uh, not in their gas form. And so there's lots of conversation going on about how to do that and how to provide a freezer for these samples to go in. Um, but some, some of it, uh, those compounds will become gaseous. And so uh, back to what Trevor was talking about, the sample containers, we're going to have to design these containers to contain that gas um, so that the scientists can study it on the ground and contain it to protect the astronaut um, because some of those compounds may be harmful. And so uh, it, that's, that's kind of one of the big things that are standing out right now. Um, but we have a huge team uh, across the, the center and agency kind of talking about it and figuring out uh, what that looks like. <laughs> see, see, it's not as simple as, uh, as uh, you know, if I'm thinking about a geological expedition, you're going out, you're collecting a rock, you put that rock in a bag, and it stays a rock. <laughs> you know? Now you have to plan for that, that thing that you're picking up to change. It, it, and how, that's, a, that's a very interesting challenge. Uh, one of those things you got to deal with on, in space. Absolutely incredible. So I want to I want to move on to uh, the operations here. We're talking about um, we're talking about going down to the surface of the moon. The tools you have to use. Uh, what talk about the? Uh, I'll pa uh, pass it back to you, Adam. The operations of an Artemis mission. What you're expecting with a with a certain lander to be able uh, to have a certain amount of room to take a certain number of tools and be able to lift off from that surface with a certain amount of mass. Uh, how are you planning for those operations? Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole podcast about this, so uh, I'll talk <laughs> about the big stuff. Um, just all the things you mentioned. You know, we have to, we have to, we have a limited mass to send our tools down. Um, then, once we're there, we're going to have to figure out how do we manage all this equipment. So we have to take it out of either the, the astronauts have to bring it out with them, um, or it's stowed externally to the vehicle and they can go pull it out of the lockers um, uh, when they get to the surface. They got to uh, attach some of this stuff to them, put it in their tool carrier or something like that, and, um, and then they're essentially ready to go. But uh, all, I kind of went through that pretty quickly, but figuring out how to manage all the tools is, is a huge challenge and is one of our top uh, 
risks, I, I would say, that we're trying to address right now. How do we bring all this stuff around with us? Uh, but once we figure that part out, we'll be, uh, we'll be a, the astronaut will be a geologist. Uh, and they'll go out and do some science. We'll take pictures of, uh, uh, of the samples. They'll be communicating verbally to, to, to uh, a whole team of scientists on the ground um, what they're seeing. Uh, and there, there's this back and forth communication that will continue to happen about what samples are, uh, are of interest. Um, and making sure that we're staying within our limit of samples to bring home, since we're mass limited there, uh, we can't just pick up everything, that the astronauts can't pick up every sample that they see. Um, so there's going to be this uh, high grading process where they go about, uh, it's just prioritizing, figuring out which samples they actually want to obtain and bring back. Um, but uh, to, to keep it simple, they'll go out, they'll, they'll take these pictures, they'll pick up some of the, the, the samples with our tools, put them in the sample containers, um, and then they'll end their spacewalk. Um, at the end of the spacewalk, we're going to want to bring those rocks inside um, in case we have to leave in a hurry. Um, and we're going to have to weigh those, those samples to make sure that uh, we know that we haven't busted our, our um, mass allocation. Uh, so we'll have to have some sort of scale to, to do that as well. So there's kind of a, a quick run through of, uh, of what kind of a, 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 a single EVA could look like. Yeah, quick, but absolutely fascinating. I was I was locked on to the tools uh, on the external lockers. I just think that's such a good idea. It's something I, I, I wouldn't even think about right off the bat, but if you're thinking about tools, these tools are in the dust, and, and perhaps you want, A, easy access to those tools, but, B, you don't want to track extra dust into the cabin where the astronauts are going to be. So storing them on the outside is just a, is just a great idea. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where some of these ideas go uh, and, and how they evolve. Yeah, and uh, and absolutely, Gary. The the dust uh, is something that I haven't touched on a lot, but that is a major concern across the agency is just how to manage dust. Um, and we did it successfully during Apollo. We we know we can do better this time around, and uh, and we have really smart people thinking about how to do that. Um, our team is also working on some dust mitigation tools, so things like brushes um, or, or things like that to help um, the astronauts get the dust off of them before they go in uh, back inside the lander. Um, and then there's other smart things that we can do about how we're um, managing the samples and other things that are dirty so that we don't we, we minimize the amount of, uh, of, of dust we're bringing back into the, the cabin. Interesting. Now, now, Trevor, I'm sure from your perspective, um, you you did mention for Artemis there is this uh, this goal of a sustainable presence, and I believe after multiple trips to the moon, it's it'll be kind of like Apollo, where you're staying longer and you're doing cooler things. So I'm sure you're looking forward to some of those some of those later missions. Talk about from your perspective, from your your priorities as a geologist during these later missions when geology when operations become my gosh, this will be awesome when operations become quote-unquote routine and uh, you can explore uh, further out and do better things. What are some of those geological goals that you're looking forward to for some of the later Artemis missions? Yeah, great question. And it really, for geology, it comes down to mobility, right, and and being able to in place. I guess the second thing would be be able to in place, you know, smarter and better equipment or scientific payloads out there. So on that first topic, like the mobility, 
of getting to new geologic units, things that may, you know, you might not have time to do um, based on the, the limitations of the, how many EVAs you can do or spacewalks you can do or how far you could go. And so increasing that mobility as the Artemis missions mature is going to be really important for science and getting to new locations or different PSRs or different geologic units. And so the mobility may come in the form of, you know, rovers like they had in, you know, Apollo or, you know, pressurized rovers that we've seen in different analog environments and that people have talked about for a, a long time. But the mobility also comes in the form of the XEMU or the new suit that they're building, the, the, the you know, the, the next generation spacesuit. Um, and so that allows us to do other things like deploy instruments uh, a lot more efficiently. And so by instruments, it's kind of a different version of the tools that we're talking about now, but like the instruments can be similar to like the Mars rovers that I talked about earlier, these instruments that are um, tell you a lot more about the surface as you explore. And so, you know, they basically miniaturized all these lab, huge lab-based instruments over over the past decades to where they're now small enough or light enough to send them to planetary surface to learn about things in situ or as you're there. And so that's going to be very important um, to deploy these instruments and other things, you know, that may be kind of out of the realm of geology, but more in the realm of astrophysics or, or um, you know, and deploying telescopes and things like that um, on the moon that may actually really help um, those types of sciences as well. My gosh, how are you not excited for some of the things that are happening for Artemis? This is absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, Adam, let's dive uh, into what, what we're thinking about so far. You mentioned, you mentioned some uh, Apollo Heritage tools that work just fine. And yeah, let's, let's just pull those uh, right from the archives and develop some of those. Talk about some of the tools that you're looking at right now at, uh, at developing. Yeah, so right now we're, uh, we're working on eight tools. Uh, these are kind of the baseline tools, the, the, the simpler ones, um, a lot of which flew in Apollo, um, uh, but we're, we're making some improvements to them. So uh, tongs, scoop, uh, rake, uh, we're working on sample bags, uh, we're working on the drive tube, um, uh, and we're working on an extension handle, which is a common handle that can uh, interface with different end effectors, um, so we don't have to fly a whole bunch of long handles. Uh, so those are those are kind of uh, I don't know if I got all eight, uh, but uh, those are those are some of the, the tools that we're working on right now. Uh, but we've we're we're communicating with the programs and um, trying to figure out what other tools we need. And so we have a list of these, these potential tools that uh, we'll hopefully get to start here uh, in the next few months. Um, but at the end of the day, there's going to be dozens and dozens of tools that, um, that are created, some by our team, some by others uh, across the country. Um, but we're just getting started, Gary. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. Um, now, these tools that you're developing, I'm sure there's a certain amount of testing uh, that you have to uh, undergo to make sure that they are ready, uh, even even making sure that they're compatible with these uh, suits that the astronauts are going to be wearing when they're doing the moon walking, which is a challenge in and of itself. So, so describe some of those things that you're working on too. 
Absolutely. Uh, testing is the most important thing, and we just need to get experience, and we just got to do. Um, we talk a lot, but uh, time talking is good, planning is good, but at some point we got to just go and do and test. And so uh, we, we try to have a culture of prototype early, prototype often, and test early and test often. And uh, Trevor and I were on a meeting this morning where we're trying to plan a, a, a small, low-key test of this next generation of tool prototypes that we've created out at the rock yard that we have at JSC. It's, a, it's, just, it's, it's a yard that has a bunch of rocks in it and looks like the moon and there's a Mars part too. And so um, we're going to do a simulated spacewalk and we're going to use the tools and we're going to get feedback on them. And so we're doing things like that, um, unsuited, uh, so without a spacesuit. And then we're also doing testing in a lab environment of the spacesuit prototypes as well. So we have um, test subjects, sometimes uh, engineers like myself, sometimes scientists like Trevor, and then um, ultimately the astronauts um, as these test subjects who are giving us feedback of our tools um, in that environment. So. We go there. We, we also go to the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. Um, uh, there, if NEMOs continue to happen, um, the NEMO missions will go out there. And so uh, our team is involved in a lot of different testing. Our, our really, our whole EVA community uh, is involved in a lot of testing right now. And uh, those are the, it's really fun. Uh, it's really fun to get out there. And, but that's where we do most of our learning. Fantastic. Really pedal to the metal here. Um, so, Trevor, from uh, from your perspective, I'm sure these samples. You know, we, we talk about all these cool things that we can find on the moon, but we got to bring them back. Uh, so, so talk about some of the ways that we're preparing the Johnson Space Center for um, for when these Artemis uh, samples come back to Earth, and we want to keep them preserved and, and study them with the with the instruments we have here. Yeah, a lot of work is is currently happening right now, spinning all that up. Um, um, as you can imagine, a lot is spinning up with with Artemis, and so the 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 Apollo curators and you know the new generation of people thinking about Artemis curation samples have really been discussing you know how to do it better, how to you know lessons learned from Apollo, what types of materials we can use, as Adam talked about before, how to store these, how to allocate them out to the world, you know, once we get them, all that planning is currently in work and really excited to think about. Um, and it really touches this project, you know, the, the building of the tools and the containers pretty closely. So lots of conversations going on currently about how to do all this and make sure it's all synced up in one nice integrated package. Very cool. Now, now, Adam, I know um, you know you have a you have a fantastic group that's that's all putting their brains into what, how we can best design tools. I believe you're also involving students in some capacity to think about maybe unique or innovative ideas that that you may not have thought of before. So, so what's that? What's that program and what's that like? Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a program called the Microgravity Next program, uh, microgravity, uh, we'll just leave it at that, microgravity next. And um, uh, this started, uh, I think we're in the sixth year of it now, if I remember correctly. Uh, and what we do is we take real challenges that our tools team is working on, um, along with challenges from, from other people across the agency, and we put those out to university students across the country. And so they get to submit a proposal. Um, 
uh, of, a, in our case, a tool design. Uh, our team, um, myself included, review every single proposal and, um, and then uh, along with some of our community members. And we rate them, we rate them, and then uh, a certain number of them will be selected to actually build their tool, and then come here to NASA to the Neutral Buoyancy Lab to test their tool out. And so it'll be tested by test subjects. The team gets to sit in the control center and direct the test and talk to the subject real time. So it is uh, number one really cool experience for the students to learn what it's like to be on the team and to design something from beginning to end and to be involved in testing it. Uh, and then for us, we get lots of ideas. It's, it's a way for us to crowdsource design. And so um, this current year, uh, it started last August, uh, we got feedback and, uh, of the, or we got some of the proposals submitted in November of last year which is just at the same time our design team was spinning up to think about designs for our Artemis tools. And so we literally sent the student proposals over to our designers um, for consideration. And so some of those ideas may or may not have been incorporated, um, but uh, it's a really cool pipeline to get university students working on real, real, pro uh, real challenges. Unbelievable. So if you're a student and you want to design a tool that's going to be actually used on the moon or, or inform designs that can be uh, used on the moon, that's the program you want to check out, MicroG Next. Uh, Trevor, I'll pass it over to you. Artemis, we're talking about the moon, uh, and, there, and there's a lot of work going into here. But it is, it is geological exploration, and you're designing these tools uh, to, to, to work on and to explore different bodies in our in our solar system there's got to be applications to mars here so what are those what are those things that you're thinking about even as we're designing for artemis what's on your mind for mars yeah i mean almost everything we talked about has applications to mars so these samples and the thinking about contamination control and you know the, the materials we use and the temperatures and the and how it how these things interface with the suit and the tool transport and the tool management, as, as Adam talked about, every single thing is, is applicable to Mars missions. And so, um, you know, my head has been in the Mars game for a long time with the robotic missions I talked about, so I'm excited to eventually, you know, think about getting to that point. Uh, but, you know, right now our focus is on the lunar stuff and then keeping an eye on the prize at the end with Mars missions and how all this stuff applies to that. And so, you know, Mars is very geologically diverse. And so from a geologic science standpoint, we're really excited to eventually get there and, think, and see all the exploration and opportunities that Mars science will bring us. Very cool. Well, Trevor, I got, a, I got a big question for you. We haven't had boots on the surface of the moon since 1972. And we're going to be going back in the very near future. Uh, so that first mission is going to be is going to be a big one, and I'm sure you, as a scientist, are eager uh, for something on the moon. So I want your recommendation for for Artemis for the Artemis mission that's going to land boots on the moon. What do you, as a ge as a geologist, want to bring back? What is the number one priority tool or thing that you want from that mission? Uh, the 
the priority tool to me would be to take a rock hammer. So to to, to go and it, just because I'm a geologist at heart, I want to take a rock hammer and be able to bring back some of that material from the lunar surface, you know, from a nearby crater or a boulder. But, you know, the number one priority for the science, I would say, is, you know, that's driving us to go to the South Pole is getting some of these volatiles back in some of our labs so that we can understand you know, the dynamics of them, the components of the those volatile samples, and then think about how we can use them in a sustainable way to continue these Artemis missions into the future, right? So this, these early Artemis missions are just a springboard into a sustainable presence on the lunar surface and then on to Mars. So those volatiles and ISRU are that, you know, how to live off the land, the resources um, are really the things that are going to take it to the next level and keep a sustainable presence on other planetary surfaces. So that's what I really would like to see. Very, very exciting. Adam, what about you? You have a lot of people working on these tools. What's the thing you're looking forward to most for getting to the moon? For me, it's just the image of, uh, of seeing the astronauts uh, being able to, to, to take a sample. Um, actually, really what will make me the happiest is that we get a, a, just one, even if it's just one sample, uh, back here on Earth, um, that is useful to the scientists. Uh, we definitely don't uh, don't take our responsibility here lightly, and uh, and we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can that our tools bring back samples that are pristine and that scientists around the world can study for uh, really decades uh, to come. Wonderful, and I know uh, you know you, you talk about just seeing people on the moon is just going to be exciting for itself. But when we first went to the moon, we planted an American flag. Are we are we bringing one this time? Are we bringing a flag? We're definitely bringing a flag, Gary. And uh, <laughs> our our team has been uh, has been asked to start working on that flag. Uh, so uh, yeah, talk about responsibility. That that one is super exciting. Um, just as a symbol for for what we're doing and and uh, and what we stand for, and so um, it's really uh, an honor to be getting to work uh, or getting to work on that project right now. An honor indeed, gentlemen. What a what an honor to be talking to you today about about all of this. This is such an exciting time we're on, and and I'm looking forward to being part of a generation that's going to see that next generation of moonwalkers and science on the moon. Adam and Trevor, thanks so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks, Gary. This has been great. Yeah, thanks again, Gary. A lot of fun talking with you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Adam Nades and Trevor Graff as much as I did. Uh, We've done a few episodes on Artemis here on Houston. We have a podcast. You can check out any of our episodes in no particular order at nasa.gov slash podcast. Click on us at Houston. We have a podcast. We also have many other podcasts across the whole agency. You can check them out there as well. If you want to know more about Artemis specifically, we got a website for that. Guess what it is? NASA.gov slash Artemis. And if you want to know more about uh, EVA, extravehicular activities, or some of the suits we have, go to NASA.gov slash suitup. You can talk to us at Houston Wave Podcast at NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just mention us when you use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. 
This episode was recorded remotely on June 24th, 2020. Thanks again to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norma Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, Mary Walker, and Stephanie Cibola. Thanks again to Trevor Graff and Adam Nades for taking the time to come on the show. We'll be back next week.